All right, so we'll be in Romans chapter number 11 tonight, continuing in our study that we've been doing on Wednesday nights through the whole book of Romans. We'll be looking at verses number 17 through 36. It's kind of a bigger passage, but it'll be okay. Um, so what's been going on and what's been happening is uh, Paul has been writing to the Roman church, right? They've been trying to, or he's been trying to help them uh, along their Christian walk as he's been trying to establish some theological grounds about salvation, about sin, about the Jews and about the Greeks and, and trying to establish how life uh, or how salvation is solely based on faith in Jesus Christ, which is something that we truly need to, to grasp even today and even for the Jews in this time. Um, last week, as we looked at Romans 11, verses number 1 through 16, we saw that um, Israel has rejected God, okay? And does that mean God has rejected Israel now, right? If Israel has turned their back on God, what is God going to do with them? And and Paul ends the question, it's like, obviously God has not turned his back on Israel. Israel is still uh, God's chosen people. And he said, you know, you can even look at himself, you can even look at Paul, that he's been changed by the gospel of God. And he is appealing and he is preaching to his brothers and his sisters in Christ that they might also seek salvation. Um, and then he begins to talk to the Gentiles and saying, you know, it's a good thing that the Israel has kind of turned their back on God because it's opened the door for the Gentiles, that the gospel is going directly to the Gentiles through, um, through Jesus and through what Paul and his ministry is doing. And in doing that, uh, making the, uh, the Jews jealous uh, by those same standards that they've gotten some um, attention taken away from themselves and now is pointing on to the Gentiles. And Paul says, you know, I want to keep doing this. I want to make Israel jealous so that they might look at you and say, man, the Gentiles are being loved by God. They had sin in their life, but God forgave them. And man, they were disobedient for so long, but God still loved them. And they can even look at themselves and say, man, we've been disobedient, but if God loved them, God would also love us, which is um, you know, a special thing that we can even proclaim today. So we'll start in verse number 17 and then read through the end of the chapter. So it says, But if some of the branches were broken off, that is Israel, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but, um, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided will continue provided you continue in kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off by uh, what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Verse 25, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mysteries, mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The deliverer will come from Zion. 
He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as we were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that they may be shown mercy to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has co-signed um, all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of his riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who can know the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For, far, for from him and through him are and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, long passage. Um, but we'll go back and, and start to read through it again and to see what um, the Lord has for us this, tonight. So he begins to talk about these branches, right? So last week we ended with an analogy and this metaphor of a tree, this olive tree specifically. And there's one olive tree that is God's olive tree, right? It has these branches and it has these things that have been growing for a long time. And that is Israel, right? Israel has been uh, growing and Israel has been flourishing and it's been uh, producing fruit. But there has become a time where God is beginning to cut off some branches that are useless. Um, I don't do much gardening. Do any of y'all do gardening? A little bit maybe. Isn't it, isn't it a practice to, um, you know, cut back at some of it, help it grow a little bit stronger? Yeah, well, I think the grafting is when you, yeah. um, you can do two things. You can try to root a new plant. You can take a couple of branches, cut them in the middle, tie them together, bury them in soil. Um, here, it's like, um, it's an odd metaphor, but, you know, they're taking a wild olive branch and a developed, which being God, that is, but... You know, forming them together, but especially taking one branch from one tree. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got a nice, uh, nobody grows olives, but let's say you have a nice tomato plant in your garden and you've got a wild tomato plant growing out. You take the wild one, you try to cut it, splice it together, graft it together, mm-hmm. get it to grow together. And it'll work if you water it and keep it in the soil good. But it is unusual for us nowadays because we don't do much of this. So. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a great metaphor. I mean, like like you said, you know, the wild we have the wild olive branch and we have or the wild olive tree and um you know, this tree that's been growing. So I looked up the definition of wild and it means not domesticated. Um so I see like in in that it's kind of interesting to to see where Israel is, right? Israel is this domesticated um I guess civilization in a way. Um, according to God's rule and according to God's uh, laws, right? God has shown them how to grow the right way and showed them what to be like. But we have these wild olive trees that are kind of off to the side. But now God's beginning to cut the branches off the olive tree that are kind of not doing anything, right? They've died, so there's, they're pointless, right, to have them on the trees. So let's cut them off. Um, and so, you're, you know, as Joel's saying, right, he's trying to graft in the ones that are good, right? And so um, when I was reading a commentary, it said like, you know, it's like cutting the tree so that it revealed some of the sap and you would insert the new branch, right? And it would, it would begin to grow uh, from that tree. And so we see, you know, this act of bringing in something that was not part of an original tree and bringing it into the tree 
um, that it might have life and have it, um, you know, begin to grow in the right way, right? And to kind of be domesticated. Um, and so that's, that's very interesting uh, to me. So these people or these two trees um, are not being nourished from two different sources anymore, but they're being nourished from one source, right? And, that, and that's Jesus I, and, and, and who God is, right? They're uh, sharing that same nourishment in one olive tree now, right? That is the, the tree itself would be just the family of God, the people um, of God. So I think um, if I could have broken, up, broken it up again, I probably would have put 17 with last week's lesson. Um, and, and you see how as the Gentiles, right, we're hearing this wonderful news that we've been able to hear the goodness of God. Right? Anyone's a Gentile that's not a Jew, so that'd be all of us probably in this church right now. Um, you know, it's good news for us that we have, we're getting to hear the law of God. But it also kind of can put some pridefulness inside of us. But man, God loves us a little bit more now, right? Israel has been thrown away and Israel's been cast aside, so God now loves us. And so what we see throughout the rest of the chapter, Paul kind of, you know, expounds upon that and, you know, kind of begins to refute it a little bit. Um, so what's some other things that we see maybe that stand out or questions that we have? like how I looked up shoot and shoot was just a young branch right so you get this image of a branch right branches are obviously are going to be a lot bigger than a little bitty shoot coming off of the tree right so you know it's easy um, to kind of picture it in that way and be like okay the shoot is not hasn't been there very long right I mean it's obviously just now started growing uh, you know growing amongst the tree so the branch itself is strong and it's mighty and it's been there for a long time. And so Paul goes into verse number 18. It's like, okay, don't be arrogant, you little shoot toward the branches. We're in Romans 11, 17 and 18 right now, if you want to turn there. Um, but like, right, don't you little shoot, right? Something that's just been a part of or newly a part of the tree. Don't look at the branches and be like, I'm better than you, right? Because obviously you're not. Um, and he says, if you are being that way, as you continue in verse 18, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Right. And so, like, you know, this this new shoot, this new wild olive branch has been put in. You are not the reason that this tree is alive. Right? The reason the tree is alive is because of the root that has been placed in. Right. Because of the roots that are that are there supporting it. And you're also being supported by that same thing. So the Gentiles are being grafted in in this analogy that, that Paul's using. We've been able to um, get straight nourishment from God, right? It hasn't, 
you know, it's kind of not necessarily a, a byproduct of what God's doing to Israel anymore. Right? Israel isn't necessarily this tree that we're all supposed to look at and, and try to resemble. But now we can tap into everything that God is doing. Um, and it's directly uh, for us. We can directly be nourished just as the, the Israelites were. And so in verse 19, he says, Then you will say, Branches who are, sorry, branches were broken off so that it might be grafted in. He's like, okay. So now you're going to ask, you might ask the question. These branches were cut off. These branches that uh, were the unbelieving Jews who didn't believe in the Lord, who were, who were nothing and, and not useful. God cuts them off so that the useful ones can be put in, right? And so this is a question that he's kind of posing. And Paul's like, you're right, right? That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Okay. So what holds the new shoot there? What keeps it in the new tree? Yeah, the roots, right? This kind of it's, and it's got to have faith in those roots, right? That it's going to hold it. Um, you know, this new and even accepted in that in that same sense. I my, I, had, I was trying to grow some pepper plants. My mom ran them over, like literally. When was that? Saturday, Sunday, Saturday. Anyways, like and it kind of hit me pretty hard. All right, and I walked out there and I see. Ran over my plants, man. So I, I got home that Saturday night, and I was looking. I was like, "Dang, these things are just destroyed, right? I can't, I can't do nothing with them anymore." Mom's like, "You know, you might be, able, you might be able to try to save them." It's like, "Mom, those things are not. Those things are past saving, right? They, they hit the, the tire over your Yukon. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's all gone." But uh, you know, we got these dead plants that are good for nothing, right? It's, I probably could save them if I had one that was still growing, right? I could probably try to you know merge it with the other one and see if it can can uh, start to gain nutrients from the other. But the new plant would have to accept the uh, um, or the the plant that's still growing would have to accept this new thing, right? And so the Gentiles, as we look at who what they're doing, right? Paul's saying it's not by anything that you're doing. Um, to keep you in this new family of God, right? It's not anything you're doing uh, to help you receive salvation. You just have to have faith in all that Christ has done for you and all that God has done for you because he's the one that's grafted you in and he's the one that's brought you into the family of God. So you can't be arrogant and, and you can't be proud, as he continues to say in verse 20, right? You can't say that I've done this on my own, but you need to be aware that, you know, right, he says, but fear, right? And fear is to be aware of danger. So, right, be aware that these other branches that were useless were cut off. So if you become, uh, if you are disbelieving, then you also will be cut off. This is what he continues to say um, in verse 21. He says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So these branches that were naturally beginning to grow off of the tree, right? These Jews that were beginning to come out of, of just the Jewish family, right? They begin to grow and begin to flourish, begin to, to multiply. But some of them didn't believe in the Lord. Some of them didn't believe in God. And God's like, okay, well, then you're not truly a part of my family, so you're good for nothing, right? And so you need to be cut off, thrown to the side, even though you were naturally there. And we're going to put some something, something there that's meant to be there, right? Something that truly believes in me. And so God didn't spare the natural thing. So what makes you think that he 
uh, will spare the not natural thing when it's not even supposed to be there in the first place. What else do we see? Guess before we continue, does that make sense of what he's trying to say? You know, this analogy that he's trying to use. Um, yeah, I think in my mind, you wouldn't. You're grafting. You're trying to grow something new, so you wouldn't want to take anything. I'll use my tomato plants again. Go ahead. You get your tomatoes that are rotted out, and you throw them in the woods. Those seeds will sprout wild tomato plants that are. They'll grow and actually produce these nasty little fruit things that aren't good for anything. So you wouldn't want to graft one of those with a nice one that I buy from Mr. Burson's store. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's really that's where I get my seeds. So. My grandfather always did. But, uh, you know, just it's, I guess it hits the point that what God's doing, you, know, you definitely not natural allowing the Gentiles to come in. It's contrary to what the Jews have, have known their whole lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, don't uh, don't get full of yourself, Gentiles. Yeah. You're allowed in. And I think that's, you know, I think you've talked about it too, Nicholas, today. You know, a lot of Christians are entitled. You know, I grew up in the church. I'm entitled to heaven. There's a lot more that goes along with it. To, right. And that's what Paul's reminding us too. There is a, what does he say, a kindness of God. And severity. And severity. And to me, that's love of God and also the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens to those that don't believe? It's, it's pretty simple. You don't go to heaven. Yeah. It's, and, but those that do have faith in God and live their lives in a godly way, they're rewarded. Just because somebody's a good person doesn't mean they get into heaven. I mean, that's... I think society has sugarcoated it a little bit with the New Testament forgiving you of anything and everything, which is true. You still have to believe in Jesus. Yeah, and I think you know for a definitely for a direct um, application, right? That I think it's a good point to say. You know, to the Jews, they did not. It was not natural for Gentiles to be so openly. Um, I guess brought into the family of God. And so that was what was kind of difficult for, especially some of these Jewish people that Paul's writing to, and, and really just the Jews in this time period. But even today, right, we look at Christians, and we become the Jews in a way, right, that we feel entitled. We feel we become exactly what Paul is asking us not to become, right? We become, um, try to overtake the tree and say that we are the tree, but we're not really the tree, right? We've been actually brought into the tree, and so we become arrogant and prideful in who we are, um, saying that we're special just because we're a part of the tree. But that's not true, right? Many others can also be brought in um, that God is, um, sees out there, that is growing, that, that is good, um, and that does believe in, in the Lord. 
And so I think you also see God's, you know, even within this tree, you begin to see God's character unfold in verses number 22 as he begins to expound upon that. There is the love of God, and there also is the wrath of God, the severity of God within this tree, right? He looks at the tree. He sees that there's parts of the tree that is dead, and it's not doing anything for it. So we, we see the wrath of God that he takes away the um, things that is unbelieving, right? The unbelieving people are brought away. And even Jesus talks about in the Gospels that um, the trees that are good for nothing and that are dead, what are they used for? To be thrown into the fire, right? To be you know, quenched by the, um, by the flames. And the ones that are actually worth something, God, we see God's love in that, that he saves them from the wild plant. And he brings them into the thing that is actually good and bring true good nourishment to it that it might continue to grow. And so you do see the, the two there, right? The believing and the unbelieving. For the unbelieving, there is a place called hell and they will be thrown into the fire, right? And that's what scripture tells us. But there is also a chance that there is a chance to believe in the Lord and that you can escape being cut off from uh, the tree of life. And so he says severity toward those who have fallen, um, the ones that are disbelieving and, and have fallen into their sin. But we see God's kindness to you, provided you continue in kindness. So I don't think, you know, especially towards that end, it kind of sounds like, you know, provided is like given um, that you continue in your kindness, right? Given that you continue to work good, God might keep you in, right? And so that sounds like this work-based salvation. But Paul's already just mentioned that it's not by anything that we do, but it's by our faith in the Lord that saves us. But I think it kind of goes back to what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. This is where he begins to talk about, if you abide in me and I in you, I'm the vine, you are the branch. Or Yeah, right? Yeah, anyways. right. That if we abide in who the Lord is, we begin to grow and become like you know, the thing that is nourishing us that we must continue in what God is doing with us, right? That we don't, um, you know, lack. That we continue to grow and make the tree into something that's worth looking at. Otherwise, you will be cut off too. He says, even and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, um, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. So we see redemption ultimate, hopefully, is what you know Paul's been preaching um, from chapters number nine through chapter number ten, that Paul is preaching to these Jewish, unbelieving Jewish people. And right, and so as the these Jewish people are reading his letter, they see that wow, like the Gentiles are able to be accepted or able to be loved and are able to be saved despite their sin and despite all that they've done and despite their disobedience god is bringing them into the family of god and family of himself he's able he's calling them sons and he's calling them daughters um and so to these jewish people they're like crap what does that mean right does that mean that it's over for us does that mean that we have no more hope you know and paul's saying you know even these people that have been unbelieving as he says in verse number um 24 or 23 the ones that were unbelieving, the ones that were cut off, and that they can also be grafted back in, right? You can be brought back, right? You can be saved despite your unbelief in the beginning. 
if you change your heart and repent of, of, of your ways, you can be brought back to the family of God. And you can be put in the right way because God has that power and He can do as He pleases. And that's one common theme that's been seen all the way from chapters 8 through chapter 11. That God has an ultimate power, right? God has His sovereignty and He has His plan of the way He, the way he wants things to work. The way he wants salvation to work, the way he wanted Jesus to come into the world, the way that he chose Israel, right? He has this power um, to be able to orchestrate things in a way that when he set the world in motion, he he knew exactly the way everything was going to play out. And he's been intimately involved in, in who we are and what we've become. He says, for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And so he's not saying that the shoots that begin to grow, that he'll cut those off to put the original branch back. No, he's just saying the original branch that was there will just be put back on there too. And so we see an, an ultimate story of redemption and what's going on, right? These wild olive trees, and, and the way I've, I feel like helps me to understand it the best way is that these, pe- these trees were not domesticated, right? These trees were wild, and they didn't understand rule, and they didn't understand a reign of, of a gardener, right? But the Israelites, they understood what it was like to have a gardener. They understood what it was like to have someone there to, to show them a, a proper way to grow, to nourish them the right way. And so now God has allowed uh, things to be grafted in, right? And so God has taken the wild olive trees, the, the non-domesticated ones, and domesticating them, right? He's showing them what it's like to live under a God that is going to show them the right way to live, show them how to be nourished. And they share in the same salvation, the same root that the Israel's, uh, Israelites did. And so now we're all becoming this big family of God. And there's now, now no distinction between Jew and Gentile, is what he says all the way back in Romans one sixteen or uh, Romans one sixteen and seventeen. There's no no distinction in who we are now, right? We're all being made into one tree, and that, and that's joyous and, and great news, and that's the gospel, right? Good news to to us all that we can be brought into the family of God only through our faith in Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Anything else before we continue? So through verses number 17 through 24, I see the Gentiles are not special, and I see God's character and God's story of redemption. So we'll move forward through verses number 25 through 32. And we see, uh, what is that right? What is the purpose? All right, what, why, why is God doing this? Okay. So, what's some things that we observe through verses number twenty-five through thirty-two that stand out to us? That are questions, comments.
begins to talk about this mystery. What is a mystery? It's something unknown, right? And so I, I love uh, like mystery movies. I don't know about y'all, right? And I love to try to figure them out. So like my and my mom's the same way. So you know you watch these um, like crime shows, or you watch you know something like that. And you're like, okay, man, I'm gonna try to figure it out before we get to the end, right? I'm I'm going to figure it out. And it's a mystery, right? You don't know what's gonna happen. Um, so you begin to look at who God is, right? And so Paul is is trying to expound upon the mind of God. And he's trying to demonstrate and, and show the Jews what he's trying to do. He's trying to show the Gentiles what he's trying to do. And he's like, I, I just want, I'm trying to help you understand, right? I'm trying to help you understand God's will, God's plan, but it's a mystery, right? Uh, you know, maybe even Paul himself is trying to say, I don't even understand it. I'm trying to portray it to you, but I'm, I'm, I don't really get it, right? I, I don't. Um, understand, but we have scripture, right? We can read it. We can try to understand it. We can try to see the mind of God. And so he's like, you know, I don't want you to be unaware of what's happening, right? I don't want you to be unaware of the plan of God and of, and of how God's been working out his salvation. And I think this verse 25 goes back all the way to chapter number eight, you know, through eight, through, through where we're at now that he's like, you know, God's been working out this plan of salvation, He's, he's shown it to us in his scripture to try to help us understand, but really it's kind of beyond our understanding. And he has this um, you know, little spot at the end of the chapter where he kind of just praises God for just being who he is. Um, so he wants them to be, understand this mystery. And he says, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, Israel will be saved. All right, so as he continues to expound upon this mystery, and maybe what he's even trying to say is that the mystery that we are understanding now and that God is trying to do is that he's trying to save the fullness of the Gentiles. Why is he trying to do this? I think it goes back to what he says in Romans 11, um, 13 and 14. He says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So God is trying to make the Jews jealous, kind of going back to what Carl was saying last week, as he's, you know, he's the younger brother, right? I was the older brother. I got kind of jealous because dad began to teach him some things that I didn't, uh, that I thought was only for me. And so maybe that's the mystery of it all, right? A partial hardening has come to what? <laughs> Randy Pla- mom ran the plants over. <laughs> yep, my mom ran my plants over. Dad's teaching Carl everything I thought he would keep from me. Man, what's the world coming to, right? <laughs> but a partial hardening has come upon Israel, right? That they have um, hardened their hearts toward God. That they have become disbelieving and they have um, not accepted the, the Messiah and not accepted Jesus as the Savior. But the Gentiles are. And so now we're in a, this period of time where God is proclaiming the message to the Gentiles. But he's doing that to make the Israelites jealous so that they might be saved, is what he says in 26. Right? God has not forgotten Israel. And if God hasn't forgotten Israel, then that means he's not going to forget me. 
that God's going to love me till the end, just as he's going to love Israel to the end. God has not forgotten his people. So he begins to quote um, some Old Testament um, things. I think, I believe it's from Isaiah. I didn't write it down, but I'm pretty sure it's from Isaiah. He says, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Paul is showing them, right, that this is not new, a new message. He's, he's done all the way throughout the book of Romans, quote scripture from the Old Testament, from the Torah, things that the Jewish people would know, to show them that this isn't something he's just coming up with off the top of his head, right? This is something that he's read in scripture, he's studied, and he's trying to expound upon them for. The deliverer, Jesus, is coming from Zion. And Jesus is going to banish all ungodliness from Jacob. He's going to take away all their sin, right? He's going to cast it away and throw it away from them. How is he going to do that? He's going to do this through this new covenant that he's going to have with them. And it's going to take away their sins. Right? That's what Jesus says when he's in the upper room. You know, a few weeks ago, we did the, the Lord's Supper, right? Jesus is sitting there with the disciples. And he says, all right, this is a new covenant that I'm making with you. This is my body, which is going to be broken for you. You know, you know take of this, eat of it, right? This is my body. It's being destroyed, this wine, right? This is my blood poured out for you for remission of, of your sins. And as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of my new covenant that I'm making with you. That my body and my blood is being shed for you. That all ungodliness might be cast away and that your sins might be forgiven and taken away. <clears throat> for the Jews and for the Greeks and for the Gentiles. Anything else? So he says, as regards the gospel, as regards the good news, they are enemies for your sake. Right. So for the Gentiles. The Israelites have become this enemy in a sense for the sake of the Gentiles. Why? Because God is now bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, to the ones that want to hear it. It doesn't mean that he's forgotten about the enemies. It doesn't mean he's forgotten about Israel. But he's doing this to make them jealous. So in regards to this great news, this good news, this gospel, is now great news for the Gentiles because they get to hear it. As regards to election, as regards to God's choice, because election is, is to choose uh, something, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. The enemies, right, are still beloved, right, through God's choice, because God has chosen them from the beginning of time to continue to work out His salvation in their lives. God chooses to love them, they are dearly loved, they're called beloved. Because of their forefathers, right? Because of the respect that God has for Abraham, that he has for Isaac, that he has for Jacob, that he has for David. For the sake of them, God is going to continue to love Israel. Because he started a work in them and he's not going to stop a work in them. 
as God shows them to be this, this chosen people and, a salva- and salvation to be brought to them. He started it in them. Right? He gave them the law. He gave them the prophets. And so he's not going to stop continuing working in their lives. And that's great news for us today. Right? As God begins to work salvation in our life, that we get to continue to walk with the Lord and to continue to learn his word as we come on Wednesday nights and we come on Sunday mornings. That we continue to be loved by God. That God's not going to stop loving us because God's never stopped loving us. One thing that I've loved to be able to read in through the Old Testament, we begin to see God's character. And one thing about God's character that you need to know is that He's never changed. He's the same in Genesis 1 that He will be in Revelation 22. He will never change the way that He acts. And that's wonderful news because I am a sinful man and I do things wrong all the time but we see you know israel does the very same exact thing right that i see my life in israel and israel has been sinful israel has been disobedient to god israel has rejected the even the messiah but god still loves them and so if that means god still loves them if we know that god's character never changes that means god will never stop loving me despite what i do that's one that i mean that is the gospel right that is the good news He says in verse 29, For their gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Right? They can't give it back. Right? They can't give the law back. They can't give the prophets back. They can't give back the title of being chosen. Right? God has asked them to be Israel, and they will always be Israel from the, for the, till the end of time. Right? They can't give it back. For just as you were one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have been disobedient in order that they may, um, that they, that by mercy, I'm sorry, we'll start over. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So what's he saying in verses number 30 through 31? Right. I mean, kind of like you want to put it back to the whole like brothers thing. You know, it's kind of like you get caught doing something, and it's it's like let's say let's back to the example that you're not the child. I'm the chosen child. And you're not. Let's say that I get caught doing something. I'm the chosen child. And I still get punishment, mm-hmm. even though you're not the chosen child. You're going to be treated as equal, and I guess that's what it's moving toward us. You are equal to have chosen one anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's so true, right? That got, or Paul is showing that all of us have been put on the same field, right? That for us as Gentiles, I believe that's who he's kind of directing it towards in verse number 30, right? <clears throat> they were disobedient to God, right? They did something wrong, but God showed him mercy, right? God said, okay, it's okay, right? You did wrong. I'm, no doubts about it, right? You have sin in your life and you deserve my wrath because of it, but... I'm going to give you Jesus, right? I'll give you a second chance. I'll give you a chance to accept 
Christ. Um, and I'll give you accept, a, a chance to have your sins forgiven. And so God has shown them that. God has shown the Gentiles that. Now the Israelites can look back and say, you know what? The Gentiles were disobedient their entire lives. Israel has, we're just now becoming disobedient. But we, we have seen that God has saved them and, and told them they're okay. And so that means I can also turn back to who God is because he still loves me as well. Right? That we are, we are all the same. No distinction between Jew or Greek. We're all ch- children of God. We're all made in his image. And we all have a chance to look back at God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Right? I'm a disobedient man. I'm a disobedient woman. I've sinned against you, but I know that you will love me. Why? Because you love so many others that have also sinned and been disobedient to you. Mercy can happen to the Jews. Mercy can come to the Gentiles if they'll just turn, right? If they'll just repent of of what they've done. So verse 32 says, For God has consigned all um, to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So that means to, to give over. He's given over all of us into disobedience. To me, I feel like that goes all the way back to the, the garden with Adam and Eve. That we, um, If we were all put in that situation, every single one of us would fall every single time. And even every single day, we're faced with a garden choice. Are we going to follow what our own mind says? Or are we going to follow what God says? Right? Are we going to, whose rule are we going to reign under? And so every single time, we have fallen into disobedience to God. And we follow after the same sin that Adam and Eve have fallen into. And so we've all disobeyed against God. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, is what Romans 6.23 tells us. But the Lord allows that. The Lord allowed Adam and Eve to fall into sin so that they could see His mercy, right? And, and so, you know, many people wonder why. You know, why did God give Adam and Eve a chance to sin? I think ultimately why God gave Adam and Eve a chance to sin is because they wouldn't be able to see his full character. In, the, in that moment of, of their sin and of their disobedience, they saw God's wrath. They saw that he was upset. And they saw that he um, was hurt because of their sin. But if, they've never, if they never would have fallen away and they never would have disobeyed against him, they never would have saw his grace. They never would have saw his mercy. They never would have saw his love. And so God wants to see every aspect of who he is. That way we might love him in a true way and in a true loving way. And so God is a good and a just God in that we're not robots, right? Controlled to love him naturally. And, and, and well, I guess, yeah, controlled in that sense, right? That we can love him to love him because of who he is and what he's done for us. So we so the Gentiles aren't special. We see that the purpose of God doing this is to show the Israelites that they can also be saved and, and shown mercy and also to continue to show the Gentiles that they can have mercy. Anything else before we continue? Questions? It's very deep. Paul, Paul does not keep us in a kiddie pool. Um... 
So as we continue, he continues to talk about God's depth. He says in verse 33, and I think verse, verses 33 through 36 is like a response of what he's just said. He's, sit, he's sitting there, and he's, he's probably thinking about all these scriptures that are coming to his mind. He's writing them out, and he's like, dang, like that's good, right? That's some good stuff. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance or an opportunity where you've been sitting in church, maybe been reading the Bible. It's like, dang, that's good, right? That's some good news, right? That's awesome to be able to read. That's awesome to, to learn about how God's character is. That's awesome to see how he's worked out God, his own salvation to a world. And awesome to see how he's worked out redemption. And so we see, we see in 33, he says, oh, and, and to me, I'm like, dang, man, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He's like, God, how rich are you in grace? How rich are you in mercy? How rich are you in love? How wise are you to be able to implement all this and, and to be able to discern the, the right way in the course of action, right? How much knowledge do you have to be able to map out the way all this needs to work? And how much do you know? And he's like, God, God, I just don't understand, right? I, I, I see how you are God in all of this. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Right? We can't, you know, it's, it's hard for us to, to search why God, you know, de decrees certain things. And it's hard to us to uh, fathom and interpret the way that he does and, and works his ways. But we know that God is true and sound in all that he does. Why? Because we have a whole book to tell us about what he's done. And we see the riches of, or we see how the depth of his riches and of his wisdom and of his knowledge. God is God, and that's period. Anything else? So then he moves into verses number 34 through 35. He quotes Isaiah 40, 13 and Job 41, 11. Um, hang on one second. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Job real quick. You know, Job is a very interesting book, and if you've ever read it, you know, the Sunday school really shortens it. Um, you know, before I actually read it on my own, I didn't realize that Job was such a long book. I thought Job was very quick and short to the point, but it is not. There's about 30 chapters of him going back and forth with his friends and really just talking about God's character. Um, we know, so we, we know the story of Job, right? Job is there. He's a good guy. He's a good man. He's a godly man devil comes to God and say, you know, God, the only reason Job is acting that way is because you you've given him so much, right? You've blessed him with so much. So I bet if you took that away, he wouldn't love you anymore. And God's like, okay, bet, right? Let's try it out. You go down there. You can take it all away from him. Just don't touch us. Don't touch him. Don't harm him. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, right? We'll see, we'll see how he acts. 
So the devil's like, all right, well, cool. We'll go down there and see what we can do, right? Destroys everything. Takes away his kids, takes away his livestock, takes away his house, takes away everything. And we see Job does not uh, curse the name of God, right? He continues to praise God. So the devil comes back. It's like, all right, okay, cool. I see how you've done that. All right, let's see. You know, let me go down there and let, let me do something to him. All right, let me inflict some, some pain upon him, right? And God's like, okay, go, right? Go down there and try it out. See what happens. So he goes down there and inflicts him upon, you know, a form of leprosy. And, you know, he's in, in sores. And, and uh, Job begins to picture him as um, he's there and he's literally wearing sackcloth. He's sitting in ashes and he's still praising God. But he begins to ask the question, God, why are you doing this? Right? He doesn't curse God, but he begins to ask God, why? Why is this happening, Right. And so his friends began to come to him and, and began, you know, to kind of give him some things like, Job, you just got some secret sin in your life that you just don't want to tell anybody. And he's like, no, like I haven't done anything. So Job is, is crying out to God, but God never answers. God finally shows up at the very end of the book. And, and one of my favorite things that he, he says, uh, he comes up to God. Um, and God comes to him and he says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that uh, you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Close yourself with glory and splendor. And so we'll jump down to 11. Um, He says, And who first given to me that I should repay him? That's what he quotes at the end in verse 35. Um, so, you know, what's interesting to me is what we see in, in Job, and I can't find it. I have, wish I could go back and look for it and knew where it was. But God's staying there. And he's like, were you there when I put the moon in the sky? Were you there when I put this, this world into motion? Were you there when I laid out the stars? Were you there when I made earth, right? And so we see just in God's character and who he is, we can't ask him why he's done things, right? Because God has done it, and he hasn't messed up yet. So he says, for who knows the mind of God? Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might get repaid? And the ultimate response is no one, right? No one can can be um, as great as God. No one can understand what he's doing. No one can give him counsel. No one can give him advice. And no one can give him a gift that he can't uh, repay them with, right? And this final ultimate praise to who he is, for, him, for from him and through him and to him were all things made. To him be glory forever. Amen. From God everything was made. Through God everything was made. And to God all things were made. And to think that God is this ultimate creator. That when nothing was there, God said, you know what would be cool? Is if I created a world, right? You know, it begins to create the world. So, you know what would be pretty cool? Is if I had some water, if I had land, right? Something that has never been thought of before, right? God creates something that's never existed. You know, it'd be cool. Let's make some people. Let's make some animals. That'd be cool, right? And so God does out of who he is and out of his ultimate power. And so we see in this in, in a great story of redemption, a great story of salvation, a great story of who God is. That God has begun a work. God created a perfect world. And he allowed us a chance to, to either sin or to either follow um, his will, right? To either obey him or disobey him.
And we choose wrong over and over and over and over and over again. We fall every single time. We're faced with the, with the predicament. Do we taste of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do we follow and make our own selves the God of our lives? Or do we follow what God has asked us to do and take of the tree of life and follow his rule and his way? And we've fallen and we've messed up. Jew and Gentile, we've all messed up and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Lord loves us despite that. He lets that happen so we, he can show us his mercy. He can show us his grace. And so we see his ultimate act of love through Jesus Christ, that he's come, he's come to die for us, that we might have life and have it more abundantly, right? And that our sins might be forgiven and that we might be restored to him and that we would take of the tree of life, the one that we didn't take of the first time. We would take of the tree of life and have true life. It all goes back, man. And that's the gospel, right? That's the response of, of who we are. So we've observed some things tonight. We've uh, maybe seen how it applies to the Jewish people of that day and, and how the Gentiles of that day. But how does it apply to 2020? Tabernacle Baptist Church. How does it apply to us? What does it mean? Why is it here? Anybody else? That's good. I think you tell people who aren't Christians, don't come to church, that you know, they're no different from us. You know, I've gone my whole life, but you know, you can accept Christ on your deathbed, still get in heaven. Yeah. So that's the, the love of God, the God's grace, God's mercy. He'll forgive you, ask for forgiveness, and believe. So, Romans three twenty three, you know, we we all sin, fall short of the glory of God. That is, that's a message that I think people need to hear because a lot of people say they're not good enough to be a Christian. And, am I good enough? Yeah. Absolutely not. Right. But we've done you know, this mystery Paul speaks about in a lot of his letters. Uh, you know, the mystery of God. It's really not up to us to question why He's done it. He has done it. He sent Christ, who was a Jew, 
has been rejected by the Jews to then save the Gentiles and one day hopefully save Jews and Gentiles alike with this new covenant. So, you know, it is a great mystery. But just believe it. Maybe God will tell us one day. Yeah. I like that. Anybody else? not anything else I will close in prayer and we can be on our way so let's pray and if I got thanks so much for allowing us to be here tonight God and I, I thank you for your son Jesus and I thank you for this wonderful gospel message that we get to hear every single night it seems like God and and hopefully something we preach to ourselves daily God that we are loved by you and that we do have your mercy and have your grace upon our lives God that despite our sin and despite our disobedience despite us being contrary to who you are you have still loved us and, and we don't deserve that we don't deserve your favor. We don't deserve um, your love upon our life. We definitely don't deserve Jesus and God and, and you yourself to come down to die for us. I pray that we would live our lives in response of that, in response of the gospel, that we've been loved so much by you that we would proclaim that to a lost and to a dying world, God, that they are also loved by you. God, that we can remind ourselves that we were once lost and dead in our sin, but you have made us alive in Jesus Christ. And that is our goal, as you tell us in Matthew 28, and you commission us to, to do the same thing, to, to go and to make disciples and to preach and, and proclaim what you have done. And the message is simple, God, that we messed up, but you have come to save us, and we just got to believe in, in what you've done, that we might have life. So, God, I pray that you'd be with each and every one of us as we go throughout our weeks. God, keep us safe. Um, be with all those of us that are traveling, either we're going back home or going back to school, Lord, after spring break. I thank you so much for who you are and all that you're going to do. Jesus, my dear friend. Amen.